With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live, presented by The Grid, right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. As always, I am Bryson Carver. It is great to have you in. I actually should have said good afternoon, because we're doing a little bit of an earlier show today, 4.30 Eastern, 1.30 Pacific time. So for anybody, take the time out of their day to, uh, to watch this uh, unorthodox, uh, unorthodox show, if you will. Uh, we greatly appreciate it, as well as those listening, obviously, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and elsewhere on the Grid Network. We've got a lot to talk about today, folks. Week 7, can't believe we're this far, in the NFL season. We had some dandies yesterday. Dak made his return, looked looked, looked pretty good, right? I'm going to give him a, a letter grade later in the show. You guys know I'm a big Dak fan. Crap, I'm wearing his hat, which I do most shows. Either my Dak hat, Grid hat. I haven't worn my Red Sox hat in a while. I probably need to do that. Uh, also, the Kansas City Chiefs on the best defense in the NFL – Drop a 40-burger, which is the second time that they've done that on an elite defense this season. I'll discuss that later in the show. Uh, also, end of the show, I'll predict Bears-Patriots. And I'll also discuss uh, Brady and Rodgers are both 3-4. and four. Yeah, we all predicted that going into the season, especially when you consider some of the opponents that the Packers and the Buccaneers have lost to. I'll talk about that in my second-to-last segment. But I want to lead the show off with last night. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers going into Miami and falling to the Dolphins 16-10. to 10. That was actually my upset of the week. I had the Steelers winning that game. Uh, I, I guess, that's that. you know, I, w- I really should have made that my if I were a betting man game because if I'm not mistaken, I think Pittsburgh covered. It was like a minus seven spread, so they barely, they barely covered. So if you took Pittsburgh in the points and you won you some money. But the Dolphins won 16-10, and I got to admit, I was not impressed in the slightest by the Dolphins. So if you told me coming into the game, hey, watch this. Miami's going to score in their first three drives. Touchdown, field goal, field goal. Okay, that's 13 points right there in your first three drives. I mean, obviously you would take that in any NFL game, especially against the Steelers defense that's been playing pretty well as of late. Take the Buffalo game out of there. Buffalo's been doing that to just about everybody. Okay, Pittsburgh is going to drop like 17 interceptions from Tua. The Dolphins defense is going to pick Kenny Pickett off three times couple of them, I'm not sure where Kenny Pickett was looking, and he he, he played his, his heart out last night, but some of those decisions, I'm like, then again, he's a rookie, so it happens. You're at home, and you win by, win by six? 
And with 30 seconds left, that thing was looking dicey because Dolphins got that pick with, I think, two minutes-ish left in the game, returned it back the other way. Dolphins went three and out. Kenny Pickett drives the Steelers right down the field, hit a big fourth down to Fryermuth. You guys know I really like that tight end. I think he's really good. I think Pittsburgh has really good offensive weapons as a whole. They just really need to upgrade their offensive line badly this offseason in the draft and in free agency. But be that as it may, Pittsburgh goes right down the field, and if it's not for just, again, a horrible interception thrown by Kenny Pickett at the goal line, Pittsburgh probably wins that game. Which goes back to something that I've talked about with the Dolphins. Look, Tua was his first game back after, yeah, he missed three games. If you include the Cincinnati game, or at least the rest of the Cincinnati game, it's three games off. You get he's a little tentative, although there's a couple of plays where I'm like, I kind of like winced. Like Tua was taking some big hits on some uh, when he was running the football. I'm like, hey, dude, like, we just saw you get carted off unconscious a few weeks ago. Like, dude, like, I get players want to play, and he's a football player. He's the ultimate football player, but, like, dial it back just a little bit. But we know what we know what Tua is. Nobody thinks he's Patrick Mahomes. Heck, I'm not sure if anybody thinks he's Kirk Cousins. He, 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 is a, he is a solid starting quarterback in the NFL. So we know what he is. So at that point, it's up to the playmakers of the Dolphins, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell, and company, to help lift him. And it's also up to the coaching, Mike McDaniel, who I, I've I've been on this since he was hired. And you know, people say, oh, you know, the, the critics kind of kind of shut me up when when Tua went out for those three weeks. I said, no, not not really. Think about this. In terms of advantages, Miami had again. I mentioned that they won the turnover battle by a landslide. They had the edge at quarterback today. Tua is absolutely better than Kenny Pickett, and I like Kenny Pickett. I think he's a chance to be a good quarterback in the NFL. But two is obviously better than him today. The Dolphins have the edge at skill position players, as good as Pittsburgh's it, Pittsburgh's skill position players are. Right, Pickens, you guys know I loved Pickens out of Georgia. His only problem has been staying healthy. But the kid is so freaking talented. Okay, you got Pickens, you got uh, uh, Johnson, you got Fryermuth, you got uh, Harris. The Dolphins, though, I think they have an upgrade in that department over what Pittsburgh has. Offensive line, clear advantage Miami. Defense, I don't know. If you if you want to say it's even, okay. But again, Pittsburgh dropped like four picks. Miami caught all three of their interceptions. It comes down to coaching. It came down to Mike Tomlin versus Mike McDaniel. I get a lot of people are bashing Mike Tomlin today. You know, defensive coach. You know, a lot of times defensive coaches are conservative, which I don't totally buy that. I mean, I see, I see what Pete Carroll's doing in Seattle. He's pretty darn aggressive with Geno Smith. You see how that's turning out. You see what Sean McDermott's doing with, again, it might be the best quarterback in the league, but Josh Allen. I don't totally buy that you can't be successful in the NFL as a defensive coach. I think it helps have an offensive coach, but I don't think this should be like a Mike Tomlin bashing party going on right now. But if I'm the Dolphins, listen, you always feel good after a win. You should never feel like bad after a win. There's no such thing as a bad win. There's a such thing as a... A little bit of a shaky win, like, oh, gosh, we probably probably should have won that game a little more convincingly. But a win is a win. But if you're sitting there as the Miami Dolphins, you, you had the advantage, the clear advantage, in just about every skill position player. You had the advantage at the most important position, quarterback. Yesterday, you had the advantage defensively because you got all those turnovers. You had the advantage with the home crowd, although Pittsburgh fans, we know, travel very well. Heck, weather's on your side. Pittsburgh's not used to playing that humidity. Miami is. And he won by six. Like, that, that's, that's how I kind of sit back and look. And, and again, in the second half, 
Miami, I don't think Miami scored in the second half, if I'm not mistaken. Let me, let me check. Yeah, Dolphins did not score a single point in the second half. Ugh. I mean, that's that's something you got to correct. Like, I've been, and I'll talk about the Packers later. I've been all over Matt LaFleur for the fact, fact the Packers have been, I've been on this since, like, week four. They are awful in the second half, which to me always points back to coaching. You're not adjusting. You're not adjusting to what the defense is, 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 is giving you. Right, that's that's what separates the Andy Reeds and, and the Sean McVeighs and and you know going back to Sean Payton in New Orleans and Kyle Shanahan. That's what separates them is the ability to make in game, especially halftime adjustments. Halftime, you're not thinking on the fly. You got you got 13. I think was it 13 minutes halftime in the NFL. You got plenty of time to go back in the locker room. You know, talk to your assistant coaches, make adjustments here and there, discuss it with your players. It's plenty of time. Like in in game adjustments are way harder, especially if you're a head coach because you got. You, you, you're you're pretty much the game manager of, of all three phases of the game. But I'm sitting there watching that, and I'm like, God, it's, it's like Miami is just, they're they like, man, they are sticking their game plan, and it is going nowhere. I mean, I, I didn't know that the Miami Dolphins were, were the Rockettes. One, two, three, kick. Because that's all they were doing in the second half. Three and out, three and out, three and out, four and out, five and out. They got nothing going in the second half. So if, for anybody like getting real excited about the Dolphins today, I, I'm, I'm not real sure why. Look, I get they got a winning record. They're four and three. By the way, four and zero with Tua at quarterback, which obviously we know Tua is better than Teddy Bridgewater. He's obviously better than Skylar Thompson. But if you look at Miami's schedule moving forward, okay, they got Detroit next week. They should win that game. They should beat Chicago. But Cleveland, we saw that talented roster yesterday. Almost beat Baltimore. Okay, you got the Texans. Eh, they should win that. 49ers. That's brutal. Chargers with that roster. Bills, Packers, Patriots, Jets. This should be a playoff team, but make no mistake about it. This is a deeply flawed playoff team. This this feels like a team that if they if should they get in, they will be one and done because of the limitations at quarterback and the limitations, the clear limitations in my view at head coach. I get Mike McDaniel's first year. I get that, and and guys, guys can adjust as they go. But you see what Brian Dable's doing in New York. With Daniel Jones, an offensive line that I don't think any of us thinks is is exactly world beaters. A defense that doesn't have a whole lot of household names. Heck, a receiving core that doesn't have a, ha- a lot of household names. We, we, you can name five, six, seven Miami Dolphins right off the top of your head. Can't do that with the New York Giants unless you live in New Jersey. And Brian Dable's got the Giants in the toughest division of football at 6-1. and one. Like, that's, that, that's what I'm talking about. Again, you don't have to necessarily win every game. It's, it's impossible unless you're a team that got celebrated last night, the net 1972 Dolphins. You're not going to win every game. But again, Miami, in terms of in-game adjustments, in terms of the limitations they have at the most important position, man, it, this, it, it still feels like this team has a long way to go. You, you, can, only win, you can only win so many games scoring 16 points because your defense isn't going to give up 10 every game. Like that's The issue with Pittsburgh, to me, is play-calling. Like I, th- I think they need to run more plays where Kenny Pickett is on the move because man, dude, when he, he's a little little Kyler Murray esque. Obviously, he's not the runner that Kyler is, although he is really good in that department. But getting him out in motion, getting him out, you know, out, outside the pocket, making plays, like that's to me what Pittsburgh should run more offensively as opposed to looking more like a Ben Roethlisberger type offense or even a Mitch Trubisky type offense. That's what I think Pittsburgh needs to do moving forward, and God knows they have got to address that offensive line in the offseason. Like that has got to be priority number one, especially the fact that you have a rookie quarterback who has a little bit of promise. 
right? We don't think Kenny Pickett has like a crazy high ceiling. I mean, I think he's got a higher ceiling than the Mac Jones. I think he's got a higher ceiling than Davis Mills. Possibly higher, maybe, than Malik Willis, although I liked Malik Willis more than I liked Kenny Pickett out of this year's draft. Be it, albeit it was pretty weak at quarterback. But the bottom line is, with, with all the screw-ups that Pittsburgh had last night, with all of the um, deficiencies they had compared to what Miami has, like that's, that's, not, that's not encouraging if you're the Dolphins moving forward. At least that's what I saw last night. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy. Who knows? Uh, but not, not, not a win that I would go out in the streets and celebrate about if I am a Miami Dolphins fan. Of course, it is Miami, and they, they, they celebrate everything, but, but still, like that's eh, – I, I didn't love what I saw there. But again, for a 16-10 game, it was actually kind of interesting. You know, I, I've noticed in the NFL this season, either – I don't know if offensive play has necessarily gotten worse. I don't think it has. But the defenses around the NFL have been phenomenal. But I almost wonder if it could be a scenario like a couple of years ago, 2020, where offense was just through the roof. I mean, everybody's scoring 30, 40 points a game, but defenses weren't that great. And it could be a situation where you had like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are good to very good on offense, but absolutely amazing on defense. And that team ends up winning the Super Bowl. Like that's, that's honestly, to me, that's going to be the question going into the playoffs in January. Which team, not that the, not that all the, off, the the teams in the NFL have bad offenses. Obviously, that's not the case. But who gets it right offensively? Because all the defenses are, have been great. Who gets it right offensively better than everybody else? Certainly got, you know, Buffalo, Kansas City are prime candidates right off the bat there. Uh, Philadelphia, I think, is, is, is excellent offensively with how they play to Jalen Hurts' strengths. That's going to be the interesting part moving forward. And also, too, when you compare... And not not to say again, not to say offenses were bad because like look at Cincinnati yesterday. Jeez, Joe Burrow, Jamar, Jamar Chase, come on, that was phenomenal. But when you look around the NFL and you look at the AFC, which is just, I mean, not that we didn't already know this going into the season, but just stacked at quarterback. I mean, it's crazy. It is crazy how how loaded. And that's another reason Miami's not going to go very far in the playoffs if they get there. If I don't even think they're going to win a game, it's because they'll have to pl- face a Burrow or a Mahomes, or an Allen, or a Lamar Jackson. Like, man, that's, I don't I don't know about that. And even the Jets' uh, amazing game planning, should they possibly face them? Jets are absolutely a, a threat to make the playoff, despite some of the injuries that they suffered yesterday uh, against the Broncos. But, they, you know, you could have to play Justin Herbert, by the way, should the Chargers get in. But it's, and then you look at the NFC, where it's an old Brady, a seemingly old Rodgers, Dak with limited weapons, Kyler, if he, again, th- we're assuming these teams get in. Kyler with, you know, who's tends to collapse late in seasons. Kirk Cousins, who doesn't play well in big games. Jalen Hurts, who's never won a playoff game. Man, the NFC is going to be interesting to watch as the season goes on. It feels like Philadelphia is probably going to end up with the number one seed. Although it we're, we have yet to even hit November yet, so we still got a lot of football left to play. Pretty much everybody left has 10 games to go, so we're not even halfway through the season. But given the schedule, given how they've looked through the first six games, Philadelphia feels like uh, they're, they're as close to a lock as you can possibly be to be the number one seed. And then it's just, after that, I mean, heck, even San Francisco, who's been very success, successful in the playoffs, just put the ball in Jimmy G's hands. You stop the run, make Jimmy G beat you. Then you got a very good chance to win. The Rams, 
horrible offensive line. Okay. Matt Stafford has been, we, we always knew Matt Stafford had an issue with picks. It's, it's gotten to like a horrible level now. It's like eight picks in six games. Like, come on. But that's, that's going to be a NFC is going to be very, very fascinating moving forward. Uh, I'd be remiss uh, if, if I didn't bring up uh, the Major League Baseball playoffs, uh, which uh, we're down to two in, uh, in Major League Baseball for the World Series. The Philadelphia Phillies, much to my chagrin. It's not that I hate the Phillies because, I mean, I'm, I'm a Red Sox fan. There's no rivalry between the Phillies and the Red Sox. There's, there's not really one at all. Uh, but it's just the fact that Philadelphia gets to feel a sense of prosperity, the team getting the World Series, which would make it all the more satisfying should they should they go down to the Houston Astros. So you got Philadelphia getting to the World Series for the first time since 2008, trying to win. I'm sorry, first time since 2009. They're trying to win it for the first time since 2008. And then you've got the Houston Astros who are trying to win their second title in six years or really their first legitimate title in God knows how long. But that'll be a that'll be a fascinating series. Game one is on Friday. I'll get my predictions for the series then. But that's gonna be a really fascinating series moving forward. But it also is is worth mentioning that you know, of who the Astros beat to get to the World Series. Now I'm I'm, I'm not somebody who like I'm not a, a a person who's like celebrates another's defeat. That's that's not that's not who I am. I don't do that. But there is an exception to the rule though. If the New York Yankees are involved in any way, shape, or form. So as as you know, Yankees fans were talking about we want Houston. They're chanting, "We want Houston." I'm like, "Do you? <laughs> you sure you want Houston? They just won 106 games. They got the best manager probably in the playoffs. They've got a loaded rotation and a amazing bullpen, and their lineup is outstanding. You, their home field advantage is huge. Those Astros fans are are, are awesome." Are you sure you want Houston? Because they're better than you in just about every way, shape, and form. And what do you know? The Astros swept them. And as the great David Ortiz once said, The Yankees lose. <laughs> oh, I've been waiting to play that for so long. Oh, man, these Yankee fans. And I'll be, by the way, most Yankee fans, I think the, the rational ones, you know, you're Mike Guido's of the world. You're John Rivera's of the world. They understood the fact that New York matchup wise playoffs is all about matchups. They, they probably weren't going to win more than one or two games in the series. And so I'm not necessarily rubbing it in their face because th- th- those are buddies of mine. I mean, Mike, Mike Guido is, is, is a grid teammate of mine. John Rivera, I consider a friend. He, I love John Rivera. Love those guys. But ju- just just the, for, for the rest of Yankee fans, we want Houston. Oh, gosh, that, that was just beautiful. Watch the last out of that game last night and how quiet Yankee Stadium was and those long faces in the stands. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that just, it, it, it brought joy to my heart. Like I said, Yankee fans, y'all have the 20th century. Red Sox, we got the 21st century. Okay, we got four titles since 04. And you had the Yankees going, by the way, you had the Yankees going into game four last night talking about, you know, we're going to channel, we're going to channel the 04 Red Sox. It's like, man, get out of here. First of all, there's only one 2004 Red Sox. There's only one team that's ever come back from 3-0 in a best of seven series. So shut up, okay? And if there's any team that shouldn't be talking about the 04 Red Sox, it's the Yankees. Because we did it against y'all. We broke the curse by coming back from 3-0 against the Yankees. And then you got Yankees fans now going into panic mode, like, oh, crap, is Aaron Judge going to leave? I don't think he is. I've been on the record since about July. Aaron Judge feels like a Yankee. He's got a lot of Jeter-like qualities about him. I would be really shocked if he doesn't stay in New York. Um, 
would be the ultimate twist is if like the Mets got him or if the Dodgers got him. Man, that'd be that'd be something else. Or you know, what what if Houston got him? If Houston got him, it's it's over. That's that'd be like the 2017 Golden State Warriors. That that'd just be unfair. Of course, the Dodgers would probably get him still losing the division series. So I don't know. But uh yeah, enough of my baseball talk. Uh I, I just I just want to mention the fact that the New York Yankees 2022 campaign is is over, which which brings joy to my heart and my soul. But moving to uh to a game, it was, it was the big America's game of the week on Fox. Kind of, kind of the biggest hyped game uh, of twenty uh, twenty two in week seven was the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, In part for a few reasons, a it was Christian McCaffrey's first game as a Niner, and they used him on a few plays. He, he looked good. What do you have? Four four carries for forty four yards. I think is what it was. Let me see. Four for forty four. I'm sorry, eight for thirty eight. My bad. I was way off. Eight for thirty eight, but he averaged five yards a carry. So. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He was effective in the touches he got. He'll obviously be more of a feature in the Niners' offense moving forward. And then the second reason this was a hyped-up game is because these two teams met in the Super Bowl just a few years ago in what was a, a, a fantastic game. Obviously, we all know the story. Niners are up 20-10. to 10. With six minutes left in the fourth quarter, Kansas City wins up winning, winds up winning the game 31 to 20. And Patrick Mahomes, of course, won the MVP. But yesterday, Kansas City put a thumping. I mean, put a thumping on uh, on the likes of the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, just 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 a a a, a absolute beatdown without a shadow of a doubt uh over San Francisco 44-23. It's 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 unbelievable. I I I I'm running out of adjectives to describe Patrick Holmes, except I will go back to what I said two weeks ago when Kansas City beat the Raiders. Remember they trailed 17 to nothing in that game, and I, I said on the show that Thursday because it was the first show after that game. I said there there was no point in that game, despite the fact that Kansas City had nothing going offensively, couldn't move the ball down the field, despite the fact that the Raiders were doing the opposite. Going down the field, big plays. Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs is running the football well. Offensive lines controlling the line of scrimmage. Derek Carr is accurate. There was never a point in that game where I thought the Raiders were going to win. Never. Uh, hand to God, there was never a point where I'm like, oh, the Raiders might actually win this game. And, of course, Kansas City did what Kansas City always does and came back. Patrick Mahomes has trailed by, t- by double digits three times this season. He's won all three games. And it goes back, I go back to what he said on that Thursday about two weeks ago. With respect to the greatest quarterback ever, Tom Brady, with respect to guys like Elway and Marino, there is no quarterback in the history of the National Football League that I would rather have trailing double digits than Patrick Mahomes. Because it's not only the fact that he's capable of coming back, there's plenty plenty of quarterbacks, current, forget Hall of Famers, just current quarterbacks that are cap- fully capable of coming back from a double-digit deficit. It's how quick it is. And I predicted, like I, I almost called this game to a T. I didn't predict Kansas City win by three touchdowns, obviously. But I said, expect the Niners to go up double digits because they're going to come out with an, a big opening game plan. The crowd's going to be into it. Christian McCaffrey's going to look good. And, and, and you know, Mahomes might make a mistake, which, by the way, he did. He threw an interception on the first drive. 
10-0 49ers, and from that point on, it was all Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes yesterday, just sensational. 423 yards, three touchdowns, QBR 0-100 to of 90, and a passer rating of 132. He was absolutely sensational. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, on the other hand, he did throw for 300, two touchdowns, a pick, a QBR of 39, and a passer rating of 99. Uh, and this goes back. Kansas City, once again, sort of exposed what I've been saying about the 49ers. And this is the case with a lot of teams. But especially with San Francisco, as loaded as they are offensively, despite having Debo, and now Christian McCaffrey, and George Kittle, and Brandon Ayuk, and Jawan Jennings, and the best left tackle in football, Trent Williams, heading what is an excellent offensive line, despite having Kyle Shanahan, one of the best offensive coaches in the league. Put the ball in Jimmy G's hands. Make number 10 beat you. If Jimmy G can get in a shootout with the likes of Patrick Mahomes and company, the elite quarterbacks of this league, and win, you go up to his hand at midfield, you shake his hand, say, heck of a game, young fella. But he's not capable of that. You ask Jimmy Garoppolo to get in a shootout with Mahomes? Mm -mm. No bueno. Burrow can. Allen can. There was a time Brady could. That's not Jimmy G's game. And you see the 49ers yesterday averaged about five yards a carry, but because it got so out of hand, because they you know at, at times kind of struggled on uh, on third down, uh, the, the 49ers did, especially late in the game. They had, to, they had to go away from the running game, as explosive as Kansas City is. Also, you had, too, the Jimmy Garoppolo. And again, his, his pocket awareness for a guy who's in his ninth year in the NFL, his, whatever, his fifth, sixth year as a starter. Man, his pocket awareness sucks. We know about the week three game against Denver when he ran out of the back of his own end zone, poured it, uh, you know, pulled a Dan Orlovsky. And then yesterday, completely unaware of the fact that he's back in his own territory, in his own end zone. You have to, quarterbacks know ahead of time. If there's nothing there, I'm throwing that baby out of bounds. Because I, I run the risk, if I hold the ball for too long, somebody's coming from my blind side, and either they could strip sack me and, and Kansas City could get a touchdown, or they could sack me for a safety, they get two points and the ball. Which is a death sentence when you're doing that to the Kansas City Chiefs. But just the creativity offensively, the screen passes, they completed that third and 20. Okay, to Jarek McKinnon, who, by the way, to me, should be fe featured more in the offense more than Clyde Edwards-Alaire is, personally. That's just from what I've seen, the eye test. Uh, but, and we talked about, too, Kansas City doesn't have, with no Tyree Kill, they'd have to go on sort of long, methodical drives. Not really. Not when you have an explosive tight end like the likes of, of Travis Kelsey. Not when you have Juju Smith-Schuster, who has been unlocked in Kansas City. It's unbelievable. It's 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 phenomenal what, what what these guys are doing. Miko Hardman, by the way, three touchdowns. I mean, just think about Juju. Juju is a guy who we thought was done. He had injury problems. You know, we're like, this this guy feels. We, we, you know, there was a time we thought Juju was a number one receiver. Now we're not even sure if if he's a two. He goes to Kansas City and against again against the best defense in the NFL. Has seven catches for a buck twenty four, including a forty six yard touchdown. It's, man, coaching matters. And when you combine the best offensive coach in the league with arguably the best quarterback in the league, by the way, the best tight end in the league with a really good offensive line, that's not fair. That is not fair. 
It goes to show you how good Buffalo was last week in doing the job they did on Patrick Mahomes with those two turnovers, both in the end zone and then the last drive of the game. But that that was probably, in my opinion, that was the most impressive offensive performance in the season of the season. Because Kansas City is going against to me, and I still believe the 49ers are the best defense in football. I'm taking over Dallas, Philly, Buffalo, whoever. Tampa Bay, uh, the Broncos, I'm taking over everybody. But the fact that you trail 10-0 on the road, and by the way, a very uh, underrated, hostile environment in the Bay Area, in San Francisco. He dropped 40? <laughs> Come on, that's insane. Now, you were aided, obviously, by a turnover and by a safety. But still, that that is that's phenomenal. And again, I, I, the Kansas City Chiefs remind me in some ways of the Warriors in terms of how they're covered by the media. Because coming into the season, oh, look at Denver. They got Russell, which I fell into that trap stupidly. Oh, look at the Chargers. They got Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson. By the way, prayers to J.C. Jackson. Looks like he suffered a pretty serious injury yesterday. We wish him the very best. Uh, but, you know, the Chargers upgrading in that offensive line, Justin Herbert. And he got the Raiders getting Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones. And nobody talked about Kansas City. Chiefs like, hang on a second. Wait, wait a minute. We've won the AFC West how many times? We haven't not been the AFC West champion since 2015? And you're just completely dismissing us. There were pundits out there, folks, that said the Chiefs would not make the playoffs. I said, that is stupidity. If you have Andy Reid and you have Patrick Mahomes, you are a lock every single year. Doesn't matter how low to your conference is, which the AFC is stacked. You are a guaranteed lock to make the playoffs. Even in that division, which hasn't been as good as we thought it'd be, but it still has its playmakers. It still has its, its quarterbacks. It's kind of like this. It reminded me of Golden State because Golden State came into last season. Everybody talking about the Lakers and the Nets and the Bucks and the Sixers. Like, there's this, there's this Steph Curry guy and Steve Kerr's the head coach. And they got this deep bench. They got these veterans. You got the ex experienced guys who've been the finals five times, six times. And who won the championship? Who's on pace to possibly be the, the one or two seed in the AFC? Props to the Chiefs. Outstanding win yesterday. And that th this is a team, once again, very, very dangerous uh, to, to possibly go on, on a long run in the postseason. But, yeah, that, that was, to me, to this point, that was the most impressive performance of the season by any offense in the league. Without a question. It was phenomenal. By the way, going against a great pass rush, too. Going against a great pass rush, which obviously the 49ers uh, are... How many, how many how many sacks did did uh did San Francisco have? I'm trying to find it. I, I I can't pull it up uh, at this particular point in time, but couldn't couldn't seem like they couldn't really <clears throat> get to Patrick Mahomes. So listen, props to those. I'm sorry. Yeah, here we go. They were, he was sacked once. He was sacked once by that defensive line. Outstanding. Moving on now to my guy. Hashtag return of the Dak. That's the last time I'll say that in this show since he's back. He's officially back in the lineup. Now Dak in the saddle uh, as, as, as the corny line has gone since he's been in Dallas. Dak Prescott made his return to the lineup uh, to the Dallas Cowboys yesterday uh, and, and helped the boys to a 24-6 win over the Detroit Lions. This was this was my if I were a betting man game. Uh, see my up, I got my ups or I got my Bryce's bleak bet correct. I picked Seattle over the Chargers, which I got correct. So I'm now three and four on my bleak bet, which I feel good about. 
But if I were a betting man, as well as ups of the week, we're both incorrect. So hoping to bounce back next week in weeks eight. But this is my if I were a betting man because I'm like, okay, I get how good the Cowboys defense has been. But you got Detroit coming off a bye, averaging 30 points a game. Only to the uh, leading into this week, only the Bills and Chiefs had scored more points this season than the, than the Detroit Lions. Like if I figured, eh, feels like it's kind of going to be a back and forth shootout. Dak's going to be maybe a little rusty right at the bat, which he was. Right, the, the two three and outs to start the game. He was sacked by Aiden Hutchinson the first time. Very questionable call by Kellen Moore on the second drive on the third and one, uh, which I'll sort of detail later. But Dak Prescott yesterday, 19 for 25, 270 yards, a touchdown, a QBR of 55, the 0 to 100, QBR 55, and a passer rating of 113. So uh, I said I would give him a letter grade. I'm giving him a B plus. I'm giving Dak a B plus. Again, he was rusty out the gates. Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the neural quantum processor. Because this is an audio ad. Unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung, more wow than ever. You know, it seemed a little unsure of himself. He had that drop. He wasn't held by that drop by Noah Brown earlier in the game. But was helped by his running game, obviously. Uh, I mean, if you, if you had asked me what percent of, of credit does Dak get for the win, I'm going to say 40%. And, and, you know, 35%. Give 35% to Dak. Give about 15% to the running game and then the rest of the defense. Give the other 50% to the defense because they were absolutely sensational. Micah Parsons did what Micah Parsons always does. Demarcus Lawrence, the interior defensive line, did a great job. Trayvon Diggs got a pick. Jordan Lewis got a pick. It came at the expense of, uh, apparently the reports say he has a Liz Frank injury, so he's out for the year. So, again, best wishes and prayers to, to Jordan Lewis. But this, this, this was a play-it-safe game for Dak. Didn't take a whole lot of risky throws. It seemed like he only took like one like legit shot down the field. Played very conservative. Again, it, it looked it looked a little similar to Cooper Rush. Now, Dak made about two or three throws that Cooper Rush is simply not capable of making. He made one amazing throw in between the defenders to CeeDee Lamb. He had a great throw over the top to Dalton Schultz in the second quarter. So, again, Dak, nobody's debating at this point who's better between Dak and Cooper Rush. That I think that got settled a, a very, very long time ago. But in terms of what Dak can bring you, not turning the football over. Again, if it's not for the Noah Brown fumble, Dallas probably scores 31. Which I'm not going to bash Noah Brown for fumbling because he did kind of get flipped in the air. So I'm not going to, it wasn't like a careless fumble. But if he doesn't fumble that football, Dallas probably scores 31 in this game. And they, they win by 25 as opposed to winning by, by 18. But I think for the, the Cowboys moving forward, this is the formula. At least against bad teams, which Detroit... <laughs> They're not a very good football team. They're one and five. Okay, and then they, the Cowboys get the Bears in a short week next week. They should win that game comfortably. With Dak coming back into the lineup, continue to rely on your run game and your defense. Because the fact of the matter is, folks, the Dallas Cowboys receiving core isn't very good. I, I mean, I've been saying that since the, since the start of the season. Okay, CeeDee Lamb is a two. CeeDee played pretty well yesterday, but CeeDee Lamb's a two. Like Michael Gallup, I, I liked him coming out of the draft out of Colorado State in 2018. Like, really like the kid. But he's he's almost as bad as CeeDee Lamb when it comes to the drops. Like, dude, like he Dak made a great throw. I think it was the second quarter, if I'm not mistaken, to, to Gallup. Went, just went right through his hands. Like, dude, you got to catch those passes. You got to help your quarterback out. Which sort of brings me to a stat that I've been mentioning, that Dak Prescott is, uh, his, his receivers are second in the NFL in drops. So 
it's not like he's gotten a whole lot of help from uh, from his guys catching passes. But again, Zeke looked good. Tony Pollard showed the usual burst. Uh, and the Cowboys were able to put the game away late. Obviously, you had the fumble at the goal line by uh, by Jamal Williams after the big play by Hawkinson, which Micah Parsons <laughs> doing what he does. Again, catching up to Hawkinson, tackling him at the one-yard line. It was an incredible hustle play that ended up saving the Cowboys a 13 to 10 deficit in all like likelihood. Because if Hawkins scores 13, 10 Dallas, and then we got a sort of different feel in that game. Dallas probably still wins. I still have confidence that Dak will drive him right down the field, but it's certainly a different feel in the game. It, it, you, you assume that it comes down the wire uh, more than it did. But as far as Dak Prescott, I'm giving him a B plus didn't turn the ball over was accurate. Again, it had the sixth best pass rating in the NFL this weekend. So Dak, off a, a thumb injury, hasn't played in a month, really a month and a half if you do the math. Passery 113, I'll, I'll take that AD of the week. It's conservative play calling, which I'm totally fine with against that opponent. Now, in, see, it's week seven. So four weeks from now against Minnesota, four days later on Thanksgiving against the Giants, later on against Philadelphia on Christmas Eve, yeah, you're going to have to be more aggressive. You're going to have to rely on Dak more to make those big throws. Okay, you're, you're probably not going to get as much support from the running game or the defense. So this is, like I said, this was the perfect game to bring Dak for, back for. Ease him back in, give him help in the run game. Dallas, by the way, at 139 yards rushing, averaged about four yards a clip. Okay, you know, you know Pollard had 83, Zeke had 57. Both, both were, both did a good job. Zeke had a couple touchdowns. But the offensive line, which to me has been the big surprise for the Cowboys, the offensive line, given the number of injuries, I think it's been really, really good. Okay, no Tyron Smith, no Lyle Collins. They, they've done a pretty good job up front. And so, you know, props to the Dallas Cowboys win this football game, convincing fashion the way that they did, closing out in the fourth quarter, which the, at least, not I wouldn't say good teams, but the playoff teams are supposed to do. That's why it was kind of hard on Miami earlier in the show. Like, dude, you got you got the advantage basically everywhere, and you win by six. Like, you got to be better. Dallas closed it out late. Dak, looked, Dak was accurate. Dak in the second half, without question, was far more comfortable. Got his legs back underneath him. Next week against Chicago, expect, uh, expect a 20-point Cowboys win uh, before they go into Lambeau Field after a bye week. So, again, great game for the Cowboys. Bring Dak back for. But as far as last thing before I move on, the play calling by Kellen Moore is, just baffles me. It, it it does. So, second drive of the game for the Cowboys, they got a third and short. And it's like third and really short. Like, it's third and a half yard. And they run an outside run. Now, I'm not totally opposed to that. But you have a speed back on your roster. His name's Tony Pollard. And the sort of bruiser, the sort of, you know, it's kind of cliche, but thunder and lightning tandem, you go thunder... To the outside, you go Zeke to the outside when you know he's probably not going to outrace the linebacker. And then later in the game, when the Cowboys are in the red zone, well, on the Cowboys' first drive where they scored three points, they've got a third and short in that situation. And they run lightning up the middle. Well, you've got the bruiser. You've got the big physical back, Zeke. That is your guy to use up the middle. And Pollard is your guy to use outside. Like, Kellen Moore did the reverse. I'm like, what is this guy thinking? Trust me. This is going to come back to bite Dallas down the road. 
The fact that the receiving core is painfully limited. The fact that 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 Kellamore's play calling is is just atrocious at times, and the fact that once again the Cowboys uh, had some careless penalties yesterday. They clean it up a little later in the game, which is good to see. But again, there to me, there are still some clear limitations with this football team that even Dak Prescott can't overcome. But as far as yesterday, he looked solid. He didn't turn the ball over. He was efficient. He was accurate. Looked far more comfortable in the second half than the first, which is to be expected. And and now you get like essentially another preseason game next week against the Bears. Should take care of them in short order before we go into a bye week. And then you'll see what happens against the Packers at Lambeau. Moving forward from there, we'll see if the Cowboys can at least make a run at the Eagles for the NFC East. I don't think so, but you never know. When you had the best quarterback in the division, you you always have a chance to, to come out on top, regardless of, uh, of the comparison of rosters. Or coaches, for that matter. But speaking, I was alluding to the Packers a little bit. And I want, I want to do like a joint segment sort of thing. Packers and Bucks, both three and four. Two teams who a lot of people consider Super Bowl contenders. I didn't consider either a Super Bowl contender. The real only reason I had Tampa Bay getting to the NFC Championship game where I had them losing to the Rams before the season was because of the fact, again, playoffs is all about matchups. And I felt like, based on what I predicted, in terms of records, division winners, and playoff seeding, the matchups favored Tampa Bay. But by no means did I think that they were the second-best team or a top-two team in the NFC, because they clearly are not. They are not better than Minnesota. They are not better than Philadelphia. They are not better than Dallas. They are not better than the Giants. I'm not even sure that they're a lot better than Atlanta today. We saw what the Falcons did not too long ago. Kind of had them on the ropes there for a while. But both the Packers and the Buccaneers are three and four. And at the end of the day, you know, people don't want to hear this, but the majority of the blame goes on the quarterbacks. That's just how it goes. A lot of people out there try to, to try to say, when the quarterback plays amazing, we give him all the credit. But when he doesn't play well, or if the team doesn't perform up to par, we're going to put blame on everybody else and put absolutely no blame whatsoever on the quarterback. Now, that's not to say that Brady is 100% to blame for the Bucs' struggles or that Rodgers is 100% to blame for the Packers' struggles. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because to me, they share a lot of the same flaws. For Green Bay. And it goes to what I've always said about leadership. Teams take on the identity of their leader. Think about the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I talked about earlier that they are 3-0 when trailing by 10 or more points this season. Why is that? Patrick Mahomes is the leader of that team. What do we think about when we think of Patrick Mahomes? He's loose. He doesn't get bogged down by the moment. He doesn't get tight. He's very, like, free-flying. All right, let's go, fellas. You know, let's, let's respond next drive. He's, he's very much a on-in-the-next-play type of guy. And that's exactly how the Chiefs are, and you see it in their play. For the longest time, in Brady, you saw a sort of a fiery, disciplined, you know, no crap, no BS, no nothing. 
Doesn't matter if we're down 25 points in the late in the third quarter of a Super Bowl. We are going to play our you-know-what's-off the rest of this game and give ourselves a chance to win. And you saw that reflected in the New England Patriots. And for a while, in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, heck, they were, they were down 27-3 to in a playoff game against the eventual Super Bowl champs. Game was tied with 30 seconds left. A team takes on the identity of its leader. And in Green Bay, they've taken on the identity of Aaron Rodgers. I've always said this about Aaron. He, he is bad playing from behind. There's, there's a famous stat out there. It doesn't apply to this game, particularly yesterday, because the commanders have a losing record. But Aaron Rodgers, I forgot what the number, it's in the 40s, is like 0 for 43 when trailing in the fourth quarter, when entering the fourth quarter trailing against a team with a winning record. He's not the comeback king that many out there try to make him to be. Heck, if you look at fourth quarter numbers, Matt Stafford, I'm even a big Stafford guy. Matt Stafford's better than Aaron Rodgers. Come on. And you see, even when he threw that touchdown pass to Aaron Jones, or if, you know, certain certain plays, certain possessions. I've always talked about this with Aaron. <sighs> Drop your head. You know, kind of like, oh, my God, here we go again. I got to bail these guys out again. Matt LaFleur, we got to be, got to be more creative or what, what was the word he used? Um, so we got to simplify the offense. That was what he said. We got to simplify the offense last week. It's like, brother, there's blame to go for, for Matt LaFleur, which I will go ahead and lay out right now. The Packers were once again horrible in the second half. They scored a grand total of six points in the second half against, uh, against the Washington Commanders. But all in all, one, I'm sorry, they scored seven points in the in, in the uh, fourth quarter, or the second half against the Washington Commanders. But all in all, across the board, the blame goes on Aaron Rodgers. Leadership, horrible. Awful body language, and you see it in his receivers. He's not confident in them. It's like, bro, why should we be, why should we be confident in you? You've been inaccurate. You're not pushing the ball down the field. You're afraid to take risks. You're ghosting us on the sideline. Why should we be confident in you? And so you have that disconnect. You have a divided locker room. Likewise in Tampa. You guys know I'm a huge Brady fan. Love Tom Brady. But this is about the poorest job of leadership that I've ever seen from him. Without a shadow of a doubt. In his 23-year career, this is the worst job that I've ever seen by far from one Tom Brady in terms of leadership. It reminds me in some ways of LeBron's first year in L.A. with the Lakers. And I think LeBron's a tremendous leader, by the way. But oftentimes you would see, especially late in the season when they were certainly out of championship contention and even, even fighting just to be in playoff conversation, LeBron's body language was bad. He would uh, kind of ghost teammates a little bit. Like It, just, it, it was a bad dynamic. And I, again, I didn't have a show at the time, but I was critical at the time of LeBron at that time. Critical of Tom Brady now. It's like, and this should this used to never happen to Brady teams, whether it be in New England or in Tampa. We also, everybody's seen the play. It's been everybody's social media. All the talk shows are, are showing it. Minute and a half into the game, Tom Brady throws a pass down the field, 60-yard bomb. Mike Evans is going to stroll. He's going to, he's just going to take a nice little walk into the end zone. For a touchdown. He's got him wide open. He dropped it. 
It's just, I mean, just flat out, there's no other way around it. He is, and he, guy's open by 10, 15 yards. He just dropped it. And from that point on, the, the morale, the momentum of Tampa just, <sighs> Tom looks completely disengaged. And I'm hearing a lot of pundits today talk about, yeah, Tom Brady just needs to go and retire after this year. Some of it is Tom's ability, without a question, is receding. Crap, he's 45 years old, folks. It's going to happen at some point. The old cliche, Father Time's undefeated. Father Time, played by Jason Momoa. He's going to win eventually. I don't think Tom's heart is in Tampa. Because I said in the show, when the whole, uh, when the reports were coming out that Tom wanted to go to Miami with Sean Payton and be a player slash owner, kind of like what Michael Jordan did with the Washington Wizards. I said, Tom Brady did not retire from the NFL. He retired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He, he, he was out in Tampa. He wanted to go to Miami. He wanted to start sort of a new phase of his career and sort of transition that into ownership. Again, what another GOAT did, what Michael Jordan did. He was a part owner of the Wizards, and then you know, obviously he retired, and he eventually uh, became the, the uh, primary owner of the Charlotte Hornets. But for Tom Brady, this it's, it's unacceptable because you had early in the season, you have him throwing tablets, or you'd have him you know, showing a lot of emotion on the sideline. All of which, except for the Pittsburgh game, I didn't like the 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 where he was dog cussing his offensive lineman because my takeaway was like, bro, you missed Wednesday's practice, which you've been missing. You went to your old boss's wedding when the guy who coaches the Patriots, and I'm not a Belichick guy, you guys know that, but the guy who coached the Patriots, who is technically an employee of said boss, didn't go to the wedding, was more focused on beating the Cleveland Browns, which his team did convincingly. And then you're playing like trash, and you're yelling at me. I'm like, you, you ain't got no rights. I don't care if you're the go. You, you can't yell at me. If you're playing bad, you're not committed as I am, clearly. Because that's never been a, an issue with Brady's commitment. And this is what I've been talking about since the offseason. I said, something is up with Tom Brady. I don't know if it's just the fact. As a matter of fact, I don't think it's just the reported marital issues. I think it's the fact that his heart's not in Tampa. I, I think I think he's done with the Buccaneers. I think it's the fact that he sort of uh, undermined the the uh, the authority of Todd Bowles, the head coach, by taking eleven days off during training camp, which is unheard of. The fact that he doesn't practice on Wednesday, and then some weeks he doesn't practice Thursday. He doesn't even show up at the facility, and then he's skipping walkthroughs to go to his old boss's wedding, and then he's also playing back. It's like timeout. And even he is, is just like, even like this week, just very nonchalant, just kind of whatever on the sideline, which is something I'm used to seeing from guys like Rogers and Cutler and Kyler Murray. That, that, that's part of the reason I love Brady is because he was, he never did this. And the guy seems completely disinterested in the game of football. And it is reflected in his teammates. It is reflected in a defense because we hear all the time, all the, uh, the phrase all the time from coaches, complimentary football. Well, it feels like the defense is, is trying to feed off the offense, but because the offense is doing anything, it sinks the morale of the defense. And there's only so long that they can hold an offense, albeit led by P.J. Walker. But still, the Packers and the Bucks are three and four. Aaron Rodgers is to blame in Green Bay. Tom Brady is to blame in Tampa Bay. It's... There's, it's no ifs, ands, or buts. We can blame the coaches. 
which Matt LaFleur, who I've never been a Matt LaFleur guy, he's got his share of issues in terms of in-game adjustments. Todd Bowles, he bears some responsibility without a question. But this falls at the feet of the quarterbacks, without a shadow of a doubt, and it all comes down to leadership. With Aaron, it comes down to what he's always done, which is no trust in his teammates, which is awful body language, which is ghosting teammates. And Tom Brady, you're seeing a little bit of the same, not necessarily the ghosting teammates, but just horrible body language. No passion whatsoever. Heck, I'm not even sure the commitment's there. I don't know. Again, we know obviously some of this has to do with what he's what, what, what's going on off the field with him and his family. But I think some of it is just he is out on Tampa. And Tampa at this point seems to be out on him. So this could be a very interesting, you know, next 10 games for the Buccaneers. I said a couple weeks back when they barely survived the Atlanta Falcons, which you saw what the Bengals did to the Falcons. I said they were, to me, out of the championship conversation as of right now. And then now they got a short week having to play Baltimore. And then they got the Rams. And the in, in Germany, they're going to play the Seahawks. And a, and a loaded Browns roster. And the Saints. And the Niners. And the Bengals and the Cardinals. And then he finished with the Panthers and Falcons. Again, Atlanta almost beat you. Gosh, it's a good thing. To, I'm not, I'm going to sit here and say, oh, Tampa Bay's not going to make the playoffs. I have a hard time believing, despite all the flaws, that with Tom Brady at quarterback, that seven other teams are going to get in the playoffs before you do. If nothing else, Tampa Bay plays first division league. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's the only division where all of the teams have a losing record. I mean, the Panthers are probably tanking. They just fired their head coach. They traded their best player, their best receiver. I'm sorry, their second best receiver. They're a game out of first place. <laughs> that's, that's how bad the division is. The Panthers are in a conversation to have that number one pick, to go get a Stroud or a Bryce Young or a Hendon Hooker. They're a game out of first place. So it's a good thing for Tampa that they play in a horrendous division because if they did not... Man, but this falls at the feet of Rodgers and Brady. Uh, and something else with Rodgers that is interesting that falls at his feet and falls at the feet of Matt LaFleur that I, I forgot to bring up, that I mentioned Patrick Mahomes is 3-0 when leading by 10 points, or I'm sorry, when trailing by 10 points or more, he's 3-0. Aaron Rodgers, when leading by 10 points or more, is 2-2. Two and two. Again, I think that all comes down to leadership, body language. The Chiefs players, they, players aren't idiots. I think it's part of the reason Tim Tebow had very, very limited, but had some success in Denver, particularly in the fourth quarter. Because as bad, and I mean bad, as the dude was playing, there was one game he played, he did not complete a pass until the third quarter. But you saw him sideline, and folks, we players know fake. They know fake leadership. Ask, ask the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, ask the Broncos with Russell Wilson. Players detect fake leadership. And those guys just drew to Tebow. Like, he still believes, hey, we can still win this game. The defense is like, hey, if we could just get one more stop, if we could just give one more stop, give this Broncos offense a chance. Denver made the playoffs. I'm telling you, players feed off of their leader. And Green Bay, not a lot to, to get excited about. Same thing in Tampa. So it's 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 bad. I mean, consider the fact that again, these were these were the they were the top two seeds last year in the postseason. The year before that, they met in the NFC Championship game, and now 
I'm not, I'm not sure what the playoffs would be today. I don't think uh, we'll know that for sure. Well, let's see. Let's look at what the playoffs would be. Okay, Tampa Bay would be in just because of the fact that they're first place in their division just by default. Green Bay would be out of the playoffs today. So there you go. Uh, playoffs, uh, in case you're wondering, in the AFC 1 through 7, it'd be Bills, Chiefs, Titans, Ravens, Jets. Wow. Uh, Dolphins, Chargers. How about those Jets, by the way? Man, I love watching that team. Uh, Zach Wilson is 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 everything I thought he'd be, which is very limited. But listen, I, I love the job they're doing that, that, that they're doing uh, down with the Jets. Robert Sala is he is he's not the coach of the year just because of the job that Brian Dable has done. But as of today, are we sure he's not in second? I mean, New York football, folks, is back. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's good for the NFL, too, to have New York football back. In the NFC, one through seven, you've got Eagles, Vikings, Seahawks. That's a, that's amazing, too. Pete Carroll, by the way, in the discussion for Coach of the Year. Eagles, Vikings, Seahawks, Buccaneers, Giants, Cowboys, Rams. So the Niners would be out. Packers would be out. Cardinals would be out. Out of the AFC, the Bengals wouldn't be in it. Neither would the Colts, who, by the way, just made a quarterback change. Matt Ryan to uh, Sam Ellinger, which is fascinating because I... Sam Ellinger, folks, looked really good in the preseason. You can dismiss it as the preseason, but it doesn't matter. Remember how Dak Prescott looked in the preseason, how that translated. So, like that, it matters. Uh, let's see, who else? Yeah, obviously Denver wouldn't be in the playoffs because let's ride. Jeez. Of course, uh, uh, they had their backup in, and, you know, feels like we, we, what, what, what I saw from Brett Rippon, I think it was, I'm not sure so, so sure Russell Wilson would have made all the difference. <laughs> that was bad. That was really, really bad by the Broncos. Uh, but it props to the Jets. I, I hate for the Jets, too, though, that uh, Brees, uh, Brees Hall, who looked fantastic yesterday, once again, and it looks like he's down for the season with the torn ACL. And then you had, I think it was Elijah Vera Tucker, I think is who it was, who also uh, went down with injury, possibly season-ending. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see where it goes from from here, but man, that's why I love the NFL. Who'd have ever thought the Seahawks <laughs> through mid October? Heck, it's where actually it's twenty fourth. We're in late October, we're a week away from Halloween. That the Seahawks would be in first place over the Niners, over the Cardinals, and over the defending reigning Super Bowl champion Rams. Hats off, Pete Carroll. Hats off to the today's comeback player of the year, Geno Smith. Man, hats off to those guys because it's it, it's phenomenal what those guys are doing uh, and what that organization has done. It's, it's outstanding. It's, it's an easy team to root for, too. Kenneth Walker from Michigan State looks amazing. It's, it, it's great to see what they're doing. Uh, around the rest of the NFL, quick recap before I predict tonight's Bears-Patriots game. Uh, I mentioned what the Bengals did to the Falcons. Uh, Joe Burrow in the first half like had over 300 yards. Uh, he finished uh, with 481, three touchdowns, a QBR of 82, a pass rating of 138. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not so sure how that QBR and pass rating wasn't higher than it was because it's hard to do much better than 34 for 42 for nearly 500 and three touchdowns with no turnovers. Like that's that is hard to really. I don't know. I'm not sure. So sure how you can do much better than that. Um, but they beat down the Falcons 35-17. Titans beat the Colts. Again, I mentioned the Colts are making a change at quarterback. Uh, probably the right decision to make at this point. Matt Ryan looks looks every bit of whatever he is, 36, 37 years old. He, he looks 
Looks like his best days are long, long gone. Looks like those MVP days are long gone for him, and that's why the Falcons are – I'm sorry, the Colts are making a change at quarterback. Uh, Ryan Tannehill got hurt yesterday. Malik Willis came in, but Titans did a good job. I, I said that Derrick Henry uh, would have a big day rushing, which he did, about 28. Average four yards a carry. He had 30 carries, by the way. Had a big game for it for Tennessee. I mentioned the those two. Okay, yeah. Giants beat the Jaguars. Man, I I, I picked the Jaguars to win by one, which they they came they came within one yard of winning by one. So that would have been the ultimate pick on my part. But uh, again, I mentioned I said Jacksonville would win six games, and almost all their losses would be by the skin of their teeth. Commanders lost by the skin of their teeth. Okay. Eagles lost by eight. They trail or they led by 14 at one point. Texans lost on an interception at the goal line. Colts lost on a game winning drive. Yesterday lost by, uh, came a yard short of a game winning drive. That's been the story of the Jaguars this year. Which, by the way, they're still technically not out of it to win the division. They just got to finish these close games. But props to Brian Dable. The Giants are six and one. Daniel Jones played pretty well yesterday, had a QBR of 87. Saquon Barkley doing his thing again, 110 yards uh, rushing, 135 yards from scrimmage, keeping himself in that MVP discussion. Man, Giants are without a shadow of a doubt the shock of the year. As surprising as Seattle's been, as surprising as the Jets have been, uh, the Giants are the shock of the year, without a shadow of a doubt. They could easily be sitting here at 3-4, and 2-5. and five. They've won a lot of close games. But that comes down to coaching and execution. That's the, the 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 Giants have excelled in that department. Ravens beat the Browns twenty three to twenty. Lamar Jackson, my guy, has not played well the last few games. He's going to need to clean up some of these turnovers and, and, and bad decisions. I mentioned Jets beating the Broncos again. I think the Jets look well coached defensively. They're doing an outstanding job. They're running the football well. Uh, Raiders beat the Texans. Uh, they put a beat down in the fourth quarter, particularly Josh Jacobs, who had the hat trick, three rushing touchdowns. And I mentioned that the Seahawks upset the Chargers, which was my Bryce's bleak bet pick. And again, once again, uh, Geno Smith is today the, the comeback player of the year, in my opinion. But we got one more game tonight uh, between the New England Patriots, who are hosting the Chicago Bears. I don't know why the NFL keeps putting the Bears on, on primetime. I don't know what they've done to earn that. But they're back on primetime, so we'll see what we see tonight. But uh, when I'm looking at this game... New England, by the way, favored minus eight and a half. New England's a big favorite. Mac Jones is going to be back in the lineup. I disagree wholeheartedly with the decision to bench my man Bailey Zappi, who's looked amazing in his time as the Patriots starter against the Lions and then against the Browns. Nevertheless, Mac Jones will be the starter tonight. We'll see what they look uh, what, what they look like. But uh, again, going against a Chicago Bears offense, which has been the very definition of future. It's been horrible. Justin Fields has four touchdowns this season through six games. He has five picks. Okay, some of that's the fact that his receivers are bad. His offensive line's bad. Some of that on his part, as Ryan Fitzpatrick pointed out last week on Thursday Night Football, a little bit of a one-read quarterback. So he's going to have to really clean that up as he goes forward, as he develops as a young quarterback in this league. But the Bears' defense has held up their end of the bargain. Okay, if you throw away the game against Minnesota, had a great second half against the Packers last week. He gave up 12 points against Washington, and if it weren't for that muff punt by my man Bayless Jones out of Tennessee, Chicago probably wins that game by a score. So, again, there was, there was a point, too, where the Bears actually had fewer receiving yards as a team than Cooper Cup had individually. My twin, Cooper Cup. So, going into Foxborough, going against the Patriots defense, which has played very well, 
it's a Belichick defense, so why are we not surprised? Uh, and again, I think Mac Jones, they'll play conservative with him, won't take a whole lot of shots down the field. This is going to be a game where it's like, Mac, don't screw it up. These are two of the five worst receiving cores in all of football, but New England has, to me, the advantage at quarterback, even though I'm not a big Mac fan. They definitely have the advantage in offensive line. They have the advantage defensively. And as solid, I'll use that word, solid, as Matt Everflus has looked in terms of game management, in terms of of, uh, in-game adjustments, he's no match for Bill Belichick. We, We all know that. I don't think the Patriots will cover, though. I don't think they'll cover, but I think they win the game outright 20 to 13 over the Chicago Bears. And even 13 feels like a little bit of a reach for Chicago, considering what the, the mess that they've been offensively uh, this season. But I think the Patriots will win this game 23-13 to 13 over the Chicago Bears to close week seven of the NFL season. So with that, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. As always, be sure to catch Carving It Up Live, I think, I assume, unless we did an earlier show, at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. Also, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe to Carving It Up Podcast right there on YouTube. Hit that big red subscribe button. And also, subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Network on YouTube. That is also where you can listen to the podcast episodes of Carving It Up on Apple, Spotify, etc., on the Grid Network. So go to the Grid Network and Apple, Spotify. You can listen to my show. You can listen to the All Even Podcast, to Clutch Sports the Talk. You can listen to the Chaotic Sports Podcast, which, by the way, shout out to my man, Patrick Brown. Great show the other day. I loved it. Uh, uh, to, also to Rocket Fuel, the Jets Podcast. My man, Alfred Parsar Jr., picked a great time to do a Jets podcast because his Jets are looking really good right now. Great uh, recent show as well, Alfred, uh, as well as to everybody else in the grid. We're trying to build this thing from the ground up uh, and we're making some real, real progress. So it's all it's, it's all thanks to you fans. So continue to subscribe, continue to support the grid, and continue to support Carving It Up Live. So until Thursday, hope everybody has a great week. Continue to stay safe out there. God bless you all. He's out. Hashtag return of the deck. Okay, last time saying that. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.